Welcome to Watch Korean Cinema, episode 47 on The Outlaws. And possibly your favorite actor out of Train to Busan takes on awfully stabby gangs in The Outlaws from 2017. My name is Kenny B, and with me to uh, review this uh, fairly recent movie is Paul Quinn's Hangol Celluloid. Did you see this uh, at home or on the big screen at any time? I saw this on the big screen at the Korean Film Festival in 2017. So Excellent. A little uh, premiere or had it been out for like half a year at that point? It'd been out for a few months, um, but it, it was sort of its European, you know, its non-Korean premiere. It was the first time it had been played outside Korea. And that means that was the time you met the director, isn't it? That's when the time I met the director. Very nice man. Very funny man, too. And uh, we'll get to that, because um, when Paul meets uh, people, he gets to uh, discuss what that was like and uh, talk about uh, what a fool he possibly was, uh, uh, you know, being nervous beforehand. But uh, maybe that only happens with women. I don't know. Yeah, more with women, but you know, we'll we'll we'll, we'll quietly pass over that. <laughs> All righty, uh, let's uh, get uh, into it. I'm quite uh, curious. Uh, so this is what's Korean cinema on the Podcast on Fire Network. We are available on podcastonfire.com with uh, a back catalog of episodes on uh, old and new Korean cinema, whether old is 1999 stuff to you, or whether old is um, black and white stuff to you. We we got it all. Uh, we even did once upon a time some monster movies out of Korea. That's Korean cinema too. Uh, you're all uh, Yongari and uh, things like that. So uh, and uh, not uh, South Korean, but it's certainly uh, North Korean Pulgasari. We've done once upon a time, so we're not uh, just uh, stuffy, uh, stuffy uh, reviewers here. We, we like a bit of kaiju fun as well. And so did Kim Jong Il. Indeed, because he had a director made that for him. <laughs> uh, brings a smile to my face that that even exists. Uh, but uh, even totally. though it's based on a crime, really, <laughs> Kid- totally kidnapping. But at least the director didn't die at the hands of Kim Jong-il in this case. So we, we know everything sort of worked out and he could die on his own terms. Always the best way. I guess so. Uh, but uh, we uh, have a back catalogue of uh, various shows on Hong Kong cinema, on Japanese cinema. We recently sort of restarted the Japanese cinema side of things by concluding our series on director Hideo Gosha. You might have heard some uh, titles uh, of his, uh, Paul. He was the director of Free Outlaw Samurai. He is the director of, well, uh, some of the other titles are a bit more obscure, I guess, but uh, Samurai Wolf. He directed Violent Streets, uh, Onimasa, The Geisha, and uh, concluded his career with a movie called The Oil Hell Murder, which he directed uh, while he was uh, badly stricken with cancer. So he died uh, shortly after completing that movie. And it's a quality movie to boot. His final movie was a quality movie. Uh, but uh, we, we did a series on that, and now we've entered uh, for a few episodes maybe on into anime territory, again, again sort of cultish anime territory. And at the time of recording, I'm editing our show on the uh, uh, movie Fist of the North Star, the animated movie Fist of the North Star. And uh, that, that, that was a UK title from Manga Entertainment. I believe it was their first VHS title. That was Fist of the North Star. Uh, you know, all uh, bloody and gory and culty from the get-go from that uh, from that label. So um, did the big movies, like uh, if we talk anime, uh, get to you like Akira, Ghost in the Shell or... You were certainly aware of them, and you could get hold of them if you went and travelled to a bigger town, you know, but it wasn't really a case of if you were going to go even get those, you would have to, you know, make a concerted travel effort. It wasn't like you could pop down to, you know, the shops down the road and they would have that sort of thing. You just you just didn't get them. It certainly wasn't uh, manga entertainment. Certainly uh, was a present on the video market in the UK, though, and they did have Akira, they did have Fist of the North Star, Ghost in the Shell, and a variety of uh, both classy and uh, more culty sort of uh, uh, exploitation titles, even, which is uh, something I'm a fan of. So I've uh, opened up Japan on Fire to some of that stuff. If you have any questions or feedback, if you've seen The Outlaws, if you like the actor in question, if you know of him, we're going to inform you of uh, who he is if you don't. Uh, let us know. Podcast on fire at googlemail.com uh, hit us up on the various socials uh, such as facebook there's a button leading to our page uh, at the top of our website uh, once you're on facebook please join our discussion group where you can interact with us and follow show updates and uh, if you click the twitter button that'll lead you to that feed and we can also be reached on uh, stitcher radio if you want to stream us we can be streamed on spotify as well and uh, follow our instagram feed for some various uh, updates as uh, well 
And uh, I write about a variety of Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies over on my site, so goodreviews.com. I put up uh, video reviews every now and again. I'm not going to do the adults-only movie video reviews anymore because uh, there's not a single video uploading service that even allows for uh, sexually suggestive content sans nudity anymore. It's uh, So I'm simply not going to post those anymore. Uh, because uh, Vimeo ha- have that as a thing you can tick if it's sexually suggestive. So I, I, I always followed that, so I didn't uh, put in the nudity in those uh, Hong Kong adults-only movie reviews, but they still shut down my channels. It's like... Crazy, can't be bothered anymore. So, yeah. uh, but uh, the, the other stuff, the crazy Taiwanese stuff or uh, whatever I put up, uh, that's um, that's gonna be on sleazykvideo.com and find and review us on Apple Podcasts. So of course, if you appreciate uh, what's Korean cinema, do leave us a star rating or a written review. Uh, let's uh, plug away. Hangol uh, Celluloid, have you had the honor of meeting the lead from the Outlaws yet, though he hasn't made uh, uh, made it to the UK? No, he hasn't been in the UK yet. I was hoping at the time Train to Busan was out that he would, um, specifically because it got a cinema release and everything. But um, unfortunately, not. It is on my list, though. Um, He's in demand, so that's a little... very much so. Quite, quite rightly so. But we'll talk about that a little bit later, for sure. Um, but hangoutcelluloid dot com and all of that good stuff. Unless you want to say anything else about uh, the website in question. Pretty much, you know, go and have a little check out of things. Um, I, as we'll find out, I interviewed the director of The Outlaws uh, when, after seeing the film uh, in 2017. So once we're all done, I'm sure Kenny will put a, a link to the interview. It's a, he's a funny guy. It's it's an involved, interesting discussion. Uh, so, you know, check it out. Uh, well, uh, we have a little um, rundown here uh, to inform you uh, what's to come. And we'll be discussing various aspects in the first section here uh, of the show, such as the real-life crime background of the movie, its commercial impact, uh, some tidbits about the said director Kang Yoon Sung and lead Ma Dong uh, Seok, a.k.a. Don Lee. And uh, we, he, he gets a minor biographical section too. And that is then followed by our review and discussion of The Outlaws. So check the timestamps in the show post so you can navigate straight to the review if you wish to do so. Uh, but uh, here in the first section we'll do a little bit of everything. And uh, it is The Outlaws from 2017. A plot from IMDb in all its simplicity because uh, it is and that isn't a bad thing. Based on real events, this crime action film depicts a sole detective's attempts to keep peace while two Chinese-Korean gangs battle over turf in their neighborhood. This was a successful and award-winning action film, and it was based on events collectively known as the Hook Sapa incident. Is that how you pronounce it? H-E-A-T. Yeah, pretty much. Hook Sapa incident. And this was essentially a bloody gang war involving a Chinese crime syndicate in Western Seoul. One of the head characters of the investigation uh, was a 38-year-old uh, Chinese who was smuggled into South Korea and helped organize a gang that was uh, known as the Yanbian Huxapa. Uh, they consisted of ethnic Koreans from China. Uh, they uh, then uh, assaulted and extorted at least nine people working at karaoke parlors and bars. And uh, police um, talked about the details of the case um, that also involved a 36-year-old uh, uh, ethnic Korean man from China that was that was stabbed in 2006 and had one million won stolen. Uh, plus, uh, you know, uh, he, he was a member of a rival rival gang. He wasn't just uh, some random person that was uh, attacked. And the leader of the Yambian Huxapa himself, the 38-year-old, uh, was also stabbed by a rival group subsequently. And it was said that bar owners uh, said it got so bad that they had to wear stab-proof jackets uh, and uh, as expected uh, these gangs sort of put the fear of god in the bar owners so no charges or arrests were made as these events uh, were happening were was happening with individual owners but uh, eventually in uh, 2007 uh, police sprung into action uh, arresting over 30 members of the gang including its 38 year old leader and the gang was uh, charged with abducting and um, stabbing uh, the members of another chinese korean syndicate as well as extortion so um, I'm sure at the time you read up on, on, on the events uh, when the movie came out. So did, did you ever get the impression that the story went beyond this point in the media? Or are we, are we merely to assume that, you know, sentences happened and possible deportations took place? Or did, did they actually jail them in Korea? 
there was there was a huge storm at the time when the arrests were made. You know, it was headline news for weeks. But it's really strange that after, you know, they were arrested and, you know, it was, oh, it's all over, Korea's fine, blah, 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 blah. There was very, very little. I assume most of them being, you know, Chinese of, of Korean descent, um, they were sent back to China and either, well, faced charges actually there and maybe some were put to death. I don't know. But there didn't seem to be that much interest in what happened to them after Korea was free of their their hook. It's a very strange thing. Yeah, you wonder how if if the cycle started again in any shape or form, but it didn't reach the media as such. Because in the movie they say that well, deporting them doesn't help because they they get in anyway with uh, with fake uh, identification and documents and things like that. So it's not um, uh, the cycle doesn't stop just because you send them back to China necessarily. So I mean, from from just general sort of summation, I guess I assume that I mean gangster things were a huge problem in Korea even before this. So I assume that things went sort of back to the way they, they were and it wasn't the, you know, people in fear of their lives being stabbed left, right and centre, but gangsters didn't go away. The Korean ones were still there. Uh, all you've got to do is look at Korean cinema during those years to see that there are more gangster films than anything else because it's a real thing and, you know, filmmakers talk about real things, whether they're telling stories or parody doesn't really matter um so i assume they were taken back to china and it was made that they wouldn't be able to to get back in you know they wouldn't be set free so i'm assuming i'm assuming a few of them are no longer with us but um you know that's just an assumption really and the the movie states clearly that uh they're using this story but not using any actual names so they they're using familiar beats if you read the media coverage but yeah. Don Lee's character didn't necessarily exist so not by name anyway so as for the 2017 movie The Outlaws covering these events it was a hit that year it became the fourth highest grossing domestic film of 2017 behind A Taxi Driver along with The Gods The Two Worlds and Confidential Agreement and it was the directorial debut of Kang Yoon Sung and he was recognized in that capacity of Best New Director at the Korean Association of Film Critics Awards and also the 54th Baksang Arts Awards and the film was also nominated for technical awards, including for stunts, uh, and even actors uh, Madong Seok, aka Don Lee, and uh, Jin Seon Kyu both enjoyed wins and nominations as well. So uh, they sort of uh, saw this as uh, both an acting showcase and a technical showcase. Uh, so, and, and I'm glad action was recognized. It was the thing I didn't had a I didn't have a handle or, or sort of a vibe on that I could expect essentially fight scenes too. And uh, but that's not a bad thing. So it was, it was a nice surprise. They put some effort in uh, the choreography of it all. So I'd I like to ask this. So uh, going back to the top four of uh, 2017, uh, do, do you agree with the audience's uh, taste in terms of what they went to see? Uh, were, were these the best movies, or were, were some of them or one of them commercial fare without much substance? I mean, I've seen a Taxi Driver, so I know that isn't fluff. But you know, along with the Gods and Confidential Agreements, uh, I, I know along with the Gods is probably this uh, special effects spectacle. But I don't know anything about conf- Confidential Agreement. What What you've got in 2017 is a real mix of two or three things you know there were really big movies and and very successful movies like a taxi driver like battleship ship island like fortress there was really a commercial tinge to everything and you've all all you've got to do is look at along with the gods to see that i mean along with the gods i think became the, the second most successful korean film of all time and you watch it and it's it's completely throwaway you know, it is high spectacle, but there, there's no depth to it whatsoever. I was humongously disappointed. And not even when I'm not even fun spectacle that can that you can just watch and detach and just watch for the pretty colors and noise. Partly, but you know, because there's so little there and it's way over two hours long, it just it ends up being a spectacle for the sake of a spectacle, but it was hugely, hugely successful. That's the second movie of that series, right? Or was that the first? 
that was the first. The, the second was almost as successful, but not quite. But, you know, it comes back to the thing that, you know, we can say, oh, these were really successful, but you've got to look at the, the fact that somebody like CJ Entertainment will put along with the gods in numerous cinemas in every town for weeks and months. Whereas if you've got a smaller, maybe independent film, it gets shown once on a Saturday afternoon, you know, so it's it's very easy to say, oh, it's so successful because it's so good. It's so successful because CJ has the might to push and push and push. Um, if you look at things like Taxi Driver, I agree, it deserves every accolade it got. It's it's not fluff. It's very, it's a very important film. The, the, the only thing I didn't like about that uh, was uh, that, that the villain was so villainy. They, they, they really designed it as one of those glaring villains down. I'm out to get you. And, totally, and it was totally. really a more important film than to have a character like that, but otherwise quite impeccable. Well, totally. You know, but, uh, you know, that being said, The Outlaws as a debut film did humongously well being placed fourth because you had some really good films that year. You know, Steel Rain with Jung Wee Song, Fortress, The Swindlers, uh, you know, Joseph's stuff like The King. What 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 was confidential agreement in terms of genre and stuff? It, it's known as two titles. It's either known as confidential agreement or confidential assignment, and it's essentially a agent actiony shooty thing. Um, pretty straightforward sort of secret agent sort of battle to the death sort of stuff. But it it's enjoyable. But again, it's big budget, big spectacle, um, and that was sort of the thing about that year. And that's quite possibly why. Outlaws did so well because it is it does feel really big. Going back to the feature director at hand here, Kang Yoon Song, and because you interviewed him, as we said, I'm I'm not gonna steal your material, so I'm gonna leave it to you to talk of whatever you like, I suppose. But what is there first to know about his start in the industry leading up to the Outlaws? Because if I read correctly, he was an actor initially. He was indeed. He uh, briefly he was he acted in a film called Please Teach Me English, which is really throwaway romantic comedy fluff it's okay um like, like supporting actor or close to lead no no just supporting i mean it was it was his first set off but i i actually in the interview um because when we were talking to him the outlaws had just it had just burst the headlines were full of full of how successful it was and it was his debut and i specifically asked him you know with a film this successful this hard-hitting this violent what are your thoughts on what you did before and please teach me english and i'm not going to tell you what he said um but it is i promise that i'll go to read the uh, read the interview in whole so just give us a little tease a essentially uh embarrassment is not a strong enough word he actually said that he'd filmed it and he's not sure whether they cut his part out mostly or not, but he really wished they did. He wanted to be an actor, and after he'd been in Please Teach Me English, he realized he had no talent whatsoever and decided he would never act again. And a few years later, here we go with with the Outlaws as director, and I think he made the right move. But, you know, there, there were giggles galore coming from him. If anybody has their DVD with them, I'll snap it in half. Yeah, I won't. I won't sign it. I don't want to see. Um, he was he was humorously embarrassed about it, and it was very very funny to watch. Quite a humble guy. Oh, of course, you can add whatever you like from from your encounter uh, uh, with him. Uh, but uh, has he expressed anything about the conception of the project? Uh, if he headed it, if it was brought to him, and things like that. Yeah, very very much so. I mean, he went into great deal of depth. It's a it's a long interview. It was a it was a group interview, so. A lot of people were asking a lot of questions. Essentially, he, in passing, met a friend of him, his who was a policeman at some point before he'd ever even thought of the outlaws. And they were talking, and he was telling him the story of the Chinese, Korean gangsters, and how the police had caught them. And he, at that point, decided, I like that story. I'd like to tell that story. Um, and that's where his initial concept came from from there he put a film together knowing that he wanted to focus on the actual guys that did the arresting rather than the investigation itself because he knew it would be action and he knew that action films were a big thing 
at the time and getting bigger. So that was his starting point. There were other things that led along the way, but but we'll talk about those in a couple of minutes when we when we move on a little bit. And it has to be said, he also wrote a script, a script for this. So yes, it, it was an, entirely his thing. He headed it all. He covered it all, and you know he deserves all the success it got because it's his. Well, almost his. And uh, before we move on, uh, I didn't include this, but uh, anything else spontaneously you want to talk about uh, in terms of that interview ex- experience, whether relevant to the outlaws or not? Really, the the big thing was his chat about Mad Dong Siok, um, who is also known as Dong Lee, which I hate. Um, I just I can't cope with it. Um, the, the main actor. Um, it turns out that him and the director are good friends in general. You know, they're, they're just, they're buddies. And when Kang was, was getting the ideas behind the outlaws together, the initial ideas, he already had Mad Dong Siok in his sights for the main police character. And he went to him and they developed that character together. That was the big thing for me that came out of that. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of Madong Siok. I think he's a phenomenal actor. You know, I mean, probably my second favorite after Jung Jae Young. There you go. That's uh, that's an impact. He has made an impact on you uh, already. Very much so. And, and to know that he was integral in creating it as it went through is a is a big plus for me i think it makes it even more special you know and he did he's known for improvisation and he was allowed to improvise they wrote some of the funny lines beforehand but a lot of it's made up as it goes along because he's just good at what he does and i think the film just screams of what a great actor he is and speaking a little therefore of um, of uh, Ma Dong Siok, uh, aka Don Lee, uh, he's Korean American, so that's uh, I suppose uh, why he, um, he uses two different names or has done so professionally. So, yeah, uh, he was once a personal trainer for mixed martial artist profiles such as Mark Coleman and Kevin Randleman, and uh, he became an audience favorite for sure, uh, s- certainly in my eyes, uh, from uh, Train to Busan. Uh, where he played a, a supporting role of uh, he was the husband of the pregnant wife and uh, sort of uh, the big the big bruiser of uh, that uh, group that takes on uh, the zombies in uh, Train to Busan and it, it it looked to me to be like that's the breakout role for an actor but it, it wasn't his first role it looks to me that he'd been active for ten years. Or maybe therefore because you follow the industry, he maybe he had already logged uh, works of note, uh, even if not uh, noticeable in the mainstream. So uh, was that the case? Had critics and audiences noticed him before Train to Busan, including you? Very, very much so. I mean, you've got to realize, you know, everybody who talks about, you know, the big actors, if they're talking about the biggest names, they'll mention Chaemin Sik, they'll min- mention Lee Byung-hun, you know, they'll mention Song Kang-ho. And they tend not to mention Matt Don-Siok because certainly internationally he's far less known or was far less known. But if you look back way before Train to Busan, he was in humongously famous Korean films. You know, he was in The Good, The Bad and The Weird, believe it or not. He was in The Unjust. He's done a lot of Ryu Sung-wan films. He was in Nameless Gangster. He did a film called Noragay, which was about the suicide of an actress. And it's one of the most heartbreakingly difficult films to watch I've ever seen. He's phenomenal in it. Um, He was in The Flu, which was a huge international success. Again, it wasn't until Train to Busan that everybody's suddenly going, oh, yeah, him, he's great. So it's almost like he's been right there. People have seen him, and they haven't really taken notice. The critics have, Korean critics have. But in terms of internationally, Train to Busan did it for him. Whereas it should have been done before because he's had international stuff out. It's really strange. Well, well, that sometimes happens, whether deservedly or not, in terms of if a movie is good or not. But uh, it, 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 you know, everyone involved with Train to Busan really deserved that those accolades. But what was it in your eyes and his role in Train to Busan that that you think people responded to? Because people do remember him from it. His humor. I mean, a lot. Whatever film he's in, you see the same sort of very, very tongue-in-cheek, almost gentle, poke-you-in-the-back sort of humour. I mean, if if you remember Train to Busan, where he's introducing his, his daughter to the, the other main male character, you know, he looks down at the daughter, points at her and says, I made that. 
You know, yes. it's it's just <laughs> beautiful, beautiful humor. And a lot of it comes from him. And I think people relate to that because he's just a genuinely witty individual. And I, I also love the fact that, yes, he he's often known for fighting and whatever, but a lot of his characters are just big lummoxes who are quite lovable, really. And he's such a big guy, you expect him to always be bad. So when he's not, it almost warms you to him instantly just because he's the size of a mountain. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think people just warm to him because of his personality and because he is obviously quite a funny, nice guy inside, a, you know, a, a body that's that's three men wide. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, he's been uh, released subsequently here in The Outlaws, in the movie Derailed. And even though critics, uh, fairly or not, have noticed that he's not varying up his characters. But again, you know, maybe that, that's not his fault. I mean, it's... Uh, you know, I, I don't know what kind of material he is offered, uh, but uh, if anything, you know, establish a leading man presence and then try and branch out and hoping that the money people still say yes, if the even if the material is challenging. So, um, you know, so, so so hopefully it won't be one note or anything. Ho- hopefully he'll be given stuff, uh, even though the outlaws, I think, is perfectly fine in terms of material and stuff. So, I, I think I think those critics are being rather harsh and a little bit blinkered. If you if you look at his career, yes, he's a big guy. So I mean, immediately you look at him, you think he would be great as a you know hard police detective or a big gangster or whatever. Yes, he fits that straight off. That's immediately what you think, and it's like they've honed in on all the things he's done, and he has done a lot of that because he's going to get roles like that. But they're forgetting all the other stuff he's done that that really is you know emotional stuff it's it's not violent in any way it's not hard man in any way he he's been in a, he was in a film called never ending story which is a heartbreaking love story um he was in dancing queen which speaks for itself he was in along with the gods it has to be said he was one of the better ones in it but you know you look at some of the other fa- films familyhood marriage blue they're titles that just scream of somebody who's trying to stretch themselves and he's getting the roles but it's like the critics just see him as this sort of hard guy yeah it, it's it's kind of strange because even if you just peruse the filmography really quickly for 2018 they're, they're different genres i mean um uh, just if you go by wikipedia summarization summarization champion is apparently a sports comedy film yeah uh, soulmate is a comedy drama film the villagers is uh, action thriller unstoppable is uh, crime action and uh, but but you know it's it's not like cop gangster cop gangster cop gangster you know certainly internationally i can understand because people are going to see rio sung wan films because they're everywhere and they're always going to be violent and he's always going to be some hard nut in them um and things like the outlaws underlines that so i can understand international people not having seen things like rocking on heaven's door which is about you know a terminal cancer patient but for if korean critics are focusing on that i think they're 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 selling themselves short really because you know a lot of the stuff he's done that's not gangstery has been really successful I, I, you know what? Uh, it it might be a lame comparison, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it anyway. I have barely any experience of watching Dave Bautista in movies, but I know for a fact. I hope they're not unfair, uh, or rather, I hope they're not unfair to him because knowing his uh, his physique, he's in Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. uh, but he's also he has a small but very crucial role in Blade One, uh, Blade Runner uh, 2049, yeah, and yeah. and he he merges into that role uh, and world perfectly despite being also the size of free man and uh just because you look a certain i mean this is all cliches but just because you look a certain way doesn't mean that screams all the quality you can bring to material and uh even though even though dave bautista is in all those escape plan movies that doesn't mean he has no chance to make a dent on on his particular market so i i think i, I think that's a valid comparison i think it's exact it's exactly the same thing like that, that that role uh, that Dave Bautista had in uh, Blade Runner, it it was nice also that uh, he was in uh, one of those prequel short movies that was done for Blade Runner twenty forty nine, 
uh, dad expanded his role uh, more and uh, he was absolutely perfectly fine. He was, he was not out of his element, so it's, uh, it was all good. Madong Seokja has had known roles in Korean TV as well, such as in the um, uh, 2014 show Bad Guys and the 2016 program Squad 38. And he is about to join the Marvel, well, about to, I mean, it might be two years away, who knows, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe at the time of recording. And he's going to be a character in the movie The Eternals. Those movies doesn't scream like, well, we'll just cast him as a gangster then, because you you would think he's going to be a supernatural something something. So, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so it's not like we're going to bring you over here and you're going to be Korean cinema bad guy uh, or Korean bad guy, whatever. So hopefully they'll give him something of note and obviously they're not going to have a problem with uh, in terms of English delivery and all of that. So, Do, do you know if personally if uh, the tv land has allowed for more flexibility in terms of acting and what characters he was given on uh, on those shows it's kind of similar to the way he's been done in films even though the critics don't notice you know he's done things like bad guys which you know yes he's big burly fighty guy um, but he's done he was insensate with beiduna which was futuristic sci-fi and he's done things like flower band where he played a teacher but again, he's been in things like Robber, where again, he's a big burly bad guy. So it's sort of half and half. I honestly think he he kind of likes the whole bad guy thing and is just trying to push himself to cover everything. But, you know, he clearly doesn't have a problem with it because in 2019, he's doing a movie version of the TV show Bad Guys. And in, 20, and in 2020, he's already signed up to do Outlaws 2. So... Right on. So, uh, d- d- spoiler warning: here he's in two. He's in the yeah, second one as well. <laughs> yeah, he's in the second one. I, I, I honestly, I don't know if that means the, you know, Chinese Koreans come back or I don't know. Uh, but yeah, the outlaws too, electric boogaloo. So yeah, it's exactly. gonna happen. Uh, okay, uh, as for short opinions of the Outlaws, uh, from my side here, uh, it's solid and it's always on the move. It's that type of action thriller that has, is very well paced and it also has a sneakily disguised agenda of featuring distinctive fight choreography without it being like um, uh, stylized or anything or uh, people lining up in the frame and going at it. It simply features fight choreography and it does that very well. It's a confident uh, debut from the director, even though you, you, you can't certainly claim that this is the new voice based on this well-executed work, but that that's what the rest of the career is for. Like, execute a genre piece, which is it, which this is very solidly, very well, and then uh, craft uh, whatever identity you choose uh, to do. But, but, but the elements here are, uh, it really works, and it's, uh, it's good violent fun. So uh, what do you want to say in short about The Outlaws? I think it's for a, for a debut piece. It's beautifully paced. It is action filled. It's tense. It's exciting. I love the fact that there is a, an ominous feeling to numerous scenes that you know is going to explode, and it does explode. But it explodes not when you're really expecting it. So there, there's excitement there. This goes alongside anything from Ryu Sung Wan. If you like his stuff, you'll like this maybe i would say a little bit less violent even though there is endless stabbings um but you know for a debut feature this is well paced this is tense and exciting stuff and i i, I quite agree as i said and uh, you you don't know because i didn't know if uh, uh don lee's character is going to be this uh you know, bad lieutenant and fairly corrupted uh, cop or anything, but he, he certainly, you know, bending the rules to get it done, but uh, he certainly makes a fine first impression uh, walking into this uh, confrontation while on the phone and he just snaps the hand of someone <laughs> trying to fight a knife and then just walks away, still on the phone, which is boastful and confident, yes, but more of a fun introduction rather than, yeah, totally. uh, you know, it's, it's not disruptive for uh, the drama that they do sprinkle uh, uh, throughout the movie i also appreciated some early examples of the, this free-flowing dialogue between the different cops where they talk sort of details of uh, a stabbing that has happened and you know in the natural flow of uh, describing the crime to each other they rib each other they turn to uh, madong siok like is that cologne like i was at a wedding so give me a break you know it's that kind of almost under the breath type of dialogue that they they squeeze in there so uh, he, he crossed this sort of uh, confident uh, 
dialogue aura around the movie, if you will. And uh, it's not sprinkled with that either in terms of, uh, you know, uh, monologues or anything. But uh, that was a little moment that I that I appreciated that uh, in the same frame they sort of go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Oh, is that cool? Well, that's weird. Anyway, uh, so... Yeah, and, and similarly, you know, um, it says, were, were you on a date? Um, uh, you know, she was a model, she was hot, and he just turns around, and this was his line, you know, he, this was an improvised line where he just says, she was only a hand model, only her hand was hot. <laughs> it's just beautiful, and it's so passing, and it goes, and they're back to, you know, going and standing in front of a guy with a knife with Madonna going, beckoning him, going, come here, come here, come here. it's just lovely it's a lovely balance but but it does indeed get things uh, going uh, very quickly uh, we get a s- sense of uh, the underworld and uh, and the law in need of uh, sometimes having discussions you know in negotiation in uh, order to keep things uh, calm uh, yes it's a real case but it, it could still be a genre movie that isn't like bogged down in in realistic details and things like that and I, he realizes quite well i think that uh, I, I can make a a quick flowing true life crime movie too it it doesn't go into comedic tangents where it gets like callous towards the truth or anything but uh really he it's part of the flow he gets us into rooms quickly whether brothels or pool halls or gambling and arcade rooms i wouldn't sit in those arcade rooms if you gave me a million dollars it's just so it's <laughs> yeah, nearly totally. pitch black in there and uh, it's just uh, screams bad, bad news uh, all, all, all over the joint. And uh, I mean, it's a leading question, but I'll ask it anyway. Is uh, Madong Seok's uh, brute force as a character and action performer something that aids the movie? Yeah, very, very much so. Uh, you know, uh, there are a lot of actors in The Outlaws. The cast is, is big and Madong Seok, for me, stands out head and shoulders above the others you know he draws you in and it's almost perfectly set that he's so hard-hitting and he's just like you say he you know goes up to a guy with a knife while he's on the phone he's just not even paying attention and just rips his hand so it works to show that confidence and to show that drive i guess and that ability um which is not to give any spoilers away which is going to come in very handy later on he gets by with uh, pushing people into tables or gets by with slapping a lot and uh, he can just deck people using that. And and it's not like the director stops for, now we have a fight choreography set piece, ladies and gentlemen, so let's focus that. It's more like, boom, down you go and let's continue on and just slap this guy and he's out like a light. And he, yeah, you, totally. you, you even think to yourself, like, did he kill that guy? Because he's like, hey, wake up, wake up. Dude, wake up, wake up. So it's almost like uh, his character's a little bit out of control. But he he isn't that uh, bad lieutenant corrupt cop or anything, uh, you you would think. But uh, obviously the movie settles down and he's uh, in it for the case. You know, uh, these cops are 24-hour cops, really. And they're they're located in in one of those, like, makeshift uh, shipping containers that they've made into an office. Really, so it's not a glamorous force that they're part of. It's not a serious crime unit that uh, is uh, glamorous or anything. And uh, you you work in cramped environments and improvised environments, uh, really, which which is a detail that I quite like. One thing that could be a problem is that again, I'm seeing this and it's like, okay, here's your chance to execute well or not execute well. Is the depiction of the gangsters and the trio, uh, which uh, consists of one sort of giggling clown one very dangerous and one impossibly pretty one at the helm of it all and that's a challenge i I, which i'm sure he embraced but let's take this uh especially the leader here uh uh, yun kia sang is the lead of the um uh of the chinese uh uh, chinese korean gangsters and if i'm not mistaken he came from k-pop originally he did he was in a band called god which you know make of it what you will you know, he was a, a lead member. You know, he was a K-pop idol adored by millions until, I think, 2004. And he left the band and started acting. He hasn't done that much notable stuff. Um, he was in a film called Moonlight and Soul and Executioner. Out of all his films, those are the only ones that that really rang a bell. He's been in things, but he hasn't necessarily been the lead. Uh, he's done a fair bit of TV more tv than film 
Um, so I think that's sort of where he's heading. But it's obvious, obvious that he's been, you know, he's got where he's going because he is quite a good looking big guy, I guess. And, and I, I was slightly worried that they were going to make him into a rock and roll villain uh, and, you know, with the, with the hair in a bun and uh, it's just impossibly sort of always on top of situations and cool and collected and doesn't give a damn if he walks into traffic, for instance. But I, I think the key to making this trio work is that each of them embraces sadism in a different manner. Yeah. And uh, those details are pretty damn um, hard. Uh, he doesn't do a lot of on-screen violence, but it's certainly... It's certainly implied and, and sort of shown by implication. Exactly. I mean, we see stabbings, slow stabbings on screen, but it's not uh, emphasized with a lot of gore or anything. That is a rather uh, gory aftermaths. And, and, and I think by casting the trio that they did, including him, and not, none of them are bad, but it looked a little bit like, yeah, that gangster is cause, that actor looks like his cause for image. So... Yeah. You you got to bring the danger to, and you certainly do. But I think the key is casting that trio of actors who all bring a different sense. Two of them look looks like they're out of control, and then there's the cool, calm, collected leader for the most of it at the top of it. So I think that trio quite quickly starts to lodge themselves on in your memory bank as they're not screwing around. They're debt collectors, and they they're very simple about it. You uh, lose your hand if you don't pay. So we're going to cut off your hand. No! <laughs> but, but they're never funny about it. It's just uh, they're, they're gleeful, but they're never funny about it. That's that's the, the key thing. You know, that's exactly it. They are absolutely gleeful, but it's never funny. Do you think um, he, uh, you know, being that pretty boy, I know I'm kind of dismissive, but uh, I, I really like him in the role. Do, 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 do you think he merges well into that world by, especially by placing him next to the two other, other actors? I think I think he only works because he's placed next to the two other actors, you know, that, you know, when this, this all happened, you know, they, they were absolute terrors. They were not like any gangsters anyone had ever seen. You know, the whole fact that people were having to wear stab vests, which had never happened before, says it all. Um, and I think it's the fact that they're that balance of out of control and oh so in control but so sadistic that that works to just show how dangerous they really are. And I think I think the combination works if he had been on his own as a lead gangster with just nameless people behind him. I, I think you would have just focused on the fact that he is kind of a pretty boy. So I think it works because of the way it's been done and only because of the way it's been done. Yeah, it goes nicely beyond the casting for image uh, quite quickly, you know, um, because because they add that brutality and uh, and uh, so some little beats by the way that I didn't mention about uh, Ma Dong Seok's character, uh, he uh, because the movie is always on the move, that character is always on the move, so he doesn't have time for idle chit chat or anything. Uh, he doesn't seem to raise his voice a lot. He just simply like uh, I I want to have this discussion for thirty seconds and then I'm out of here. But uh, he all almost looks sad that he can't resist women at one point. Yeah, <laughs> uh, at one when he goes to uh, the brothel or the the hostess uh, and uh, hostess bar there, and he uh, says like I'm only gonna drink water. I'm on the clock, uh, on the clock, and then they bring in three girls, and he's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Oh, you gotta love it! You gotta love it. I mean, it's quite funny, but it all, all, always look—it almost looks sad that I can't resist this. Uh, one girl looks like a Western girl too, who speaks Korean, and, and I think in the subtitles, it's all, almost implied that uh, he corrects her at one point the way he speaks. That uh, she says something, but it's the wrong word. But uh, it's all sings out, man. So whoever they got there, she she spoke Korean, so that was a nice little, n- nice little uh, detail, I suppose. So. But in terms of violence, uh, if you give the, the listeners uh, an idea, is it overly like just uh, disgustingly violent or is it more impact and, I don't know, loud and noisy and it feels violent rather than is violent? Yeah, I think, it. you know, when I d- would describe the outlaws, I wouldn't use violence as the first word. Whereas, as we already mentioned, if I was talking about Ryusung Wan films, I'd probably say violent action. You know, I think the amount of violence that's implied is is kind of similar, but I would say Ryung Sung Wan's films are much more graphically violent than this. You know, you see the gangsters 
standing in front of a man and you can see they've got a knife in their hand and the, their hands moving back and forward really quickly so they're they're repeatedly stabbing somebody but you're not actually seeing it that graphically it's always just with the victims back to you and things like that so i don't think he goes over the top i wouldn't necessarily describe it as as all that graphic at all there is violence in the the fight scenes but that's so choreographed it's almost like a dance anyway less violent than you would expect a violent film about gangsters to be but the the violence is very much there in implication and i think that i think that's quite powerful as well and we certainly buy the edge in danger and the challenge they represent as a trio that is enlarging their gang i mean uh, the brief glimpses we get of the body parts in the suitcase that's in the garbage truck that, that that's really uh, nasty stuff without lingering uh, lingering on it and uh, also because they, they seem like such a force that with such simplicity are just moving in and taking whatever they like it's also bal- that balances against the fact that this serious crime unit is not overly funded financially so they they have what they have including uh, the clothes on their backs so at least yeah. a little funny sequence where they have to wash their own socks <laughs> Because, you know, they never go home. So uh, they, they got to do what they got to do. But but that never breaks mood. I think it's a, a, a nice little glimpse into what it uh, might be like this. And uh, so they don't watch, they don't break the movie for a gag. You know, extensively see Ma Dong-seok uh, wash his dirty sweaty socks in the sink or anything. He's on the phone at the same time as they're doing that. So it's a, it's a natural... natural scene within a movie that's always on the move too so if that's a commentary in terms of serious crime units are underfunded yes he places that commentary there but he's uh, he's on the move regardless so uh, it does have to be said that you you will become aware of a complete preoccupation with filming meal scenes in restaurants they eat repeatedly throughout the entire film you just think no they really don't ever go home they just go to work they go out they get their lamb or whatever it may be and you know it's just that whole food thing is a a recurring issue that i find quite amusing and and even that leads to uh, the director needing to uh, practice his uh, sense of tension in a scene like when the cops have sort of have they have the sense that these three they we need to watch them we need to kind of follow them and the the the, the chinese uh, korean gangsters they pick up that scent too so there's a confident uh, navigation of that soul environment and how to craft tension uh, so uh, it really co- comes off as a as a director who plot has plotted this out and uh, and, and, and I mean, it's not next level drama or anything in terms of uh, the trauma that at least uh, one person suffers off of working this job. Uh, I won't describe um, necessarily who that is. And, and I don't even know if Ma Dong-seok's character, as a way of comforting that character, is telling the truth that he says he's scared of knives. And po- possibly that doesn't matter if uh, he's actually telling the truth or not. He never really does seem scared. Because otherwise he wouldn't walk up to that guy on the phone while he's on the phone himself and then snap his hand. I, I think I think that just sort of underlines the human side of the character. You know, he's saying that because the the guy kind of needs to hear it. And if you compare that with the interactions Madon Siok's character has with the little boy who serves in the the restaurant that he constantly goes to, um, it just shows a nice side to a man who can be as hard as he needs to be and i think i think it just it adds just a little bit of of personality to a character that that is quite simple but it it, it kind of works for that and and we spoke of uh, that that they're underfunded they they say that but it reaches a point in the movie which i thought was quite effective that they, they do feel deflated as a serious crime unit uh, they say why even have a serious crime unit when this is the level of violence the bad guys operate at and deportation won't work anyway so i don't think that's necessarily a um, uh, ham-fisted piece of social commentary i think anyone who might have been a witness to this escalation of heinous violence uh, might have thought the same thing that it's too easy and it's too hard for us yeah i totally agree and you know when you look at the 
reactions when when Madosiok asks for help from the community for little tips and you know insights as to where these people are and what they're doing that you know everybody's so completely truly terrified that that whole statement of what are we doing there's nothing we can do really sums up the impossibility of the situation that we're going into in real life the fact that they managed we know they managed to arrest 30 people and the fact that they managed it with so few people with so little money against such brutality is is quite something and it says it says just how important the work was to them regardless of anything else and i think that that says quite a lot about the real story one of the few really comedic beats i think is uh how the whole whole mop up operation gets going it's basically in the movie here ma dong siok and his colleague are improvising a lie based on their big mop-up operation they, they they sort of argue their case why why they should even have a case and they, they sort of manage to improvise a lie about the we're we're, we're, we're gonna do a big big, op, big operation that's gonna we're gonna arrest three for 30 30 people 30 people we 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 have 30 people we're gonna arrest and that's what we're gonna do and they get away with it i think it's a it's a cute little scene because they're, they're not convincing in the slightest <laughs> as they sit there with uh, at least two officials so I, I thought that it seems like the dumbest thing ever and they get away with it but obviously yeah well know. yeah really i mean wow you know it kind of shows how essentially dumb those gangsters really are because you just think no you're never going to get away with this man never but 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 they managed to get that operation going and and uh, without spoiling it i think when he goes into the beat of the sting operation movie as they have montages of uh, the public uh, helping to document uh, the location and uh, get the images of the gang and how the gang unravels as uh, as uh, you know all of these uh, things uh, uh, drawing closer to them i think that, that that's a really nice beat of the movie it keeps uh, things uh, going it's quite professionally made and, and, and then you get that surprising aspect of the fact that this movie features quite extensive fight choreography and when i say fight choreography this doesn't stop to become a martial arts movie it, it seems so natural that there's going to be two or three little distinctive sequences where you know if whether the choreography handles uh, uh, features uh, headlocks or fisticuffs or f- fire extinguishers being swung around stabbings and uh, you know tussling and wrestling but the choreography is very well conceived some some you know obviously the end is quite outstanding in that regard and uh it's not the genre isn't cookie cutter just because it's done before and the certainly the choreography isn't either because it's made with a sense of clarity and yeah. power as they wreck environments and it looks genuinely hard and uh, there, there's not just because they shoot it you know with clarity but they have uh, creativity within the environments you know uh, they, they throw each other through doors and things like that and it's not show off and it doesn't make the movie take on another genre that it had no business attending or anything it's a it feels very natural that we have two or three distinct uh, pieces of uh, fight choreography here and i really liked especially that the wedding sequence uh, because it also has genuine violence and brutality but 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 obviously the, the finale is uh, quite outstanding and uh, it looks like the actors are are participating to uh to an enough degree the, the only thing i don't know but I, but i guess because he's trained people that that madong siok has you know a degree of uh of fight in him so to say that he can perform the fight choreography without doubling because who can double him yeah very very much so and i mean i i rewatched. let's just say that finale by the way is is breathtaking and it's it's violent choreography but i rewatched it a couple of times to try and see if i could see you know, a stunt double, and I couldn't, you know, I, you look at him and you know it's him. You know it's him. from he, Nobody else is big enough. And and, and and they're not designing it as like, uh, we're going to do Wing Chun now or Mantis. It's not that. It's uh, they're throwing each other around, but it's 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 complex stunt work despite. Yeah, and it's uh, it comes across as absolutely visceral. You know, it's it comes across as absolutely real. I think it's stunning sequence and i think that's the one sequence that stayed with me more than anything else 
because it's just so memorable and it's a nice it's a nice way to kick it out you know one uh, and uh, really uh, this is my final note uh, going back a little bit one obvious but yet not special effect shot uh, happens in a movie that I thought was awfully well conceived because even in 2019 they they, they simply can't uh, can't make CG that good uh, sometimes even with big budgets uh, when uh, a character jumps out of a window onto a car onto a pavement and then runs away you you know what shot I'm talking of when uh, yes I know I know what shot you're talking about clearly it's based on two shots clearly they are merging two shots here because there's no way the actor in question took uh, did that entire jump but boy does it look seamless it really does and you know you've got to give the director's such such big points for getting it and the choreographers for getting it looking like it is seamless. You have to you have to actually think to realize that it's two shots because it is so flowing. Because we also see the actor when he's on the ground and runs away. We we see the actor, so there's no doubt that he did the, the second half. You know, maybe from the car onto the pavement and things like that. So because that is hard. That is still hard in 2019 to merge yeah. shots like that without it feeling like too lightweight, uh, too blurry, too just uh, too CGI. Yeah, totally, <laughs> and and totally. it, uh, I rewound it just in case because there's no way he took that jump. Rewound? No, he certainly did it, but the scene is somewhere around there, and I don't care because uh, it was actually well done. You know, I mean, it is it is so well done that yeah, I agree with you, but the whole it's two shots is has to be an assumption because you can't see where it where that where that join is you can't it's perfectly done so you know again you let's add edit, editing to the you should be very proud of this guys the only way that shot would have been real if was if it had been done in around about 1985 by the Samo Hong stunt group they would have done that shot for real out of a restaurant onto a car onto a pavement yeah. Because that has happened in movies. I've seen stuntmen break their legs, failing that stunt. And it's in the outtakes reel. So <laughs> there's a movie wow. called uh, there's a movie wow. called Harder to Dragon that Sammo Hong directed. Uh Sammo Hong stars in it with Jackie Chan. Sammo Hong is mentally uh, uh, challenged. If he, uh, he's uh, like uh, uh, ten years old at heart, and uh, but regardless, it has a gangster element too. Uh, the st- stuntman Chin Kalok, uh, uh, actor and director too. He jumps uh, out of a window and he's supposed to uh, land uh, on a car. And uh, one of the outtakes showed that he misses the car and hits the pavement. Ooh. And they don't think for a second they had an ambulance on standby. <laughs> the stuntman, his friends carry him off into a van and drive him to a hospital. Like, wow. he must have broken his effing legs because that, and you know what? The outtake really is in slow motion as well. Oh, <laughs> painful. In every in every meaning of the word. So when I saw that, yep, that's Hong Kong, and when I saw saw the outlaws, uh, I was like, well, they, I'm glad they executed that shot well because uh, if it's not executed well, then becomes a question of why do it at all if it's so obviously fake. Uh, yeah. But uh, it, it certainly was well well done. At any rate, um, quite liked it. So it was a a, a, a nice fast paced uh, good time with uh, with uh, violence, uh, cops and robbers. So. Uh, any other thing you want to say about the, the Outlaws? At first, as you start to watch it, you're going to find the number of characters that you've got to deal with almost intimidating. There are, there are a lot, but it soon becomes clear who's important and who's not. The Outlaws is a strong action film, and if you're absolutely tired of gangster stuff, you can still give it a look because it's it's accomplished enough to bring a freshness to it, even though you will have seen most of this stuff in some shape or form before. So, you know, it's well worth checking out and it sits alongside any Ryu Sung-Wan film you could care to mention. Is uh, Kang Yun-Sung attached to the sequel as well? Do we know that? Yes, he is indeed. So, you know, I think we're going to have more of the same and let's just hope it's it's as good or close to. And that's uh, for 2020 at this point, according to Wikipedia. Yeah, that's for 2020.
All right, on. Well, uh, as for availability of Korean, uh, Hong Kong disc editions, etc., they seem a little sparse on the Blu-ray front, but the DVD editions are available if you go to Yes Asia and things like that. In America, you can stream, rent, or buy it on Amazon Prime, so um, therefore you can watch it in digital HD. Uh, I couldn't find any domestic discs on there, uh, just imports, so it's simply possible that it doesn't have an American distributor. Certainly doesn't have a UK one either. So yeah, as far as I can see, no UK options, which is a shame because uh, you you would think that this uh, could uh, have uh, a place being a, a fairly simple movie to uh, promote. You know, be, you know, based on the horrifying true life crime, blah 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 blah. Uh, but sometimes movies come to U- the UK and sometimes they don't. So it's uh, but uh, it uh, it's a shame as it was sparse uh, at this point. Uh, but uh, nothing on UK Amazon Prime either, as far as I can see. So you can only stream in america but it's quite easy if you just use a simple vpn service you can pay for your amazon prime account regardless of where you are in the world because i watch the u.s side of amazon prime and i i pay for it via my regular registered amazon account so they don't block you uh, they don't block you akin to netflix uh, does so uh, uh, so it, it's a uh, fully um possible to watch uh, the amazon prime service and uh, it's a uh, quite an appealing one because there's a lot of korean movies on there the quiet family has a nice digital hd stream on there that's not on disc as far as i know uh tons of Shaw brothers movies are on there uh not all uh, in original chinese or anything but uh, it's uh it's a uh, quite uh quite nice to have uh it's uh it's, sometimes i watched movies uh like half a Shaw brothers movie that i really liked uh, and then jumped onto itunes and bought uh, bought the da- damn thing for the dual language uh, of it all so um it's uh quite nice uh quite nice to have and quite nice that amazon prime aren't uh hell-bent on blocking the rest of the world uh out there like netflix did because we're paying for the service and paying for their uh, services uh, in terms of blu-rays and dvds that we order every now and again so uh, so it's all uh, possible Uh, at any rate uh, for all your podcast on fire network needs uh, including the back catalog of what's korean cinema and all the relevant show links including paul's uh, interview with director kan yun sung and uh, that uh, group interview that group discussion with uh, the rest of the persons involved uh, go to podcastonfire.com uh, so we'll we'll uh, get, get all gabbit links for you in the show post and that that's all i have to say but obviously you can access that interview if you go directly to hangol celluloid of course so i'll throw it over to you to plug in any way you like lovely guys thanks for listening good to talk to you um do check out the interview if before after if you're interested in the outlaws at all it's a nice involved interview with a really humble guy who who wasn't quite sure of where his his success came from but he's clearly and openly proud of the outlaws and quite rightly so i would say good that he's now proud of his work versus when he wasn't proud of his work you know totally he's so uh matured in that regard so uh, uh i didn't, didn't even ask that uh, like uh, is the outlaws too literally the next thing or do we know of any projects in between no i think i think that's going to be the next thing for both Matt Dong-Siok and director Kang. So, well, hopefully, a little time is allowed to come up with some kind of script, and uh, and uh, so it won't be uh, some sort of forced repeat of uh, matters. Uh, I mean, uh, m- maybe they're not even going to go any true life crime route for for a sequel. So, uh, maybe you know, completely different characters, just based on a perhaps a gangster cop thing. You know, you don't you don't know, but we'll just have to trust them both and you know mad on involved so i kind of i do trust and and by the way i have a sneaky suspicion that you're not necessarily watching all the marvel movies but uh based on the fact that uh madong siok is in it are you gonna go watch the eternals when it hits the big screen very much so and you know i'm not adverse to a marvel thing i've i think i've caught most of them right uh, a couple of i can't even remember the the title it was a couple ago um there was a a Korean actress who was sort of TV and went in and she, she, you know, played a, a sort of a super powered lady. And I, I deliberately caught it for that. But even if nobody's involved, you know, I don't mind sitting in front of the TV, checking out, you know, Marvel stuff. It's, it's an easy watch after you've spent a week rewatching, you know, a, an angst fest in Korea and, <laughs> and, and getting 1200 words 
around it. Uh, it's a nice sit back to just chill out. So yes, I'd check it out anyway, probably. But if he's in it, all the more reason to. That's a that's a an advertisement for Marvel that that they should really uh, take on board. Like uh, after I'm done watching my angst-filled Korean cinema, I like to kick back and watch Marvel Cinematic Universe. There you go. Tagline I should be paid for. <laughs> All right, Thanks, everybody, for listening. I've been Kennedy. And with me was uh, Paul Quinn of Hango Cellular, who might simply go and watch an MCU movie right now. Who knows? I might well do. Lovely talking to you guys. See you soon. Baby, put it on me. Gold chain, diamond wheels on my body. Have a boonie, easy. I am not afraid to party. Party like a party like a party.